Hello, everyone. Welcome to this fireside chat at uh, FreightWaves Live at Home. I'm Linda Baker, a senior reporter with FreightWaves. And joining me today is Peter Harris, the International Sustainability Director for UPS. Welcome, Peter. Thank you for being with us today. How are you doing? Thank you, Linda. It's a pleasure. Good to see you. Thanks. Good to see you, too. Uh, Peter, why don't uh, you tell us a little bit about your role at UPS, uh, how long you've been there, and what your responsibilities are? Sure. Thank you. So uh, I'm a 31-year UPS veteran. Uh, started way back in 1989 in, uh, in the engineering function. Uh, currently look after, as you say, international sustainability. So that means I'm responsible for sustainability everywhere outside of the U.S. And that really means that I manage the, the company's uh, engagement with issues that are important to society. So when we look at how UPS works in the world, what is important to our stakeholders uh, and how do we need to respond to that? Okay, great, great. Uh, and, and we're here to uh, talk specifically about urban uh, deliveries and urban logistics. Uh, you know, more and more of us live in cities and there's this an expectation now with e-commerce that we can order anything we want and get it delivered anytime we want. And that, of course, is putting uh, a lot of pressure on logistics. Um, I know that uh, UPS alone saw a 65% jump in U.S. residential deliveries during the second quarter, um, and a lot of that was driven, of course, by e-commerce and uh, the pandemic. Um, so can you tell us a little bit about urban uh, logistics, what it entails, and why it has become uh, so important to local and national economies? Sure. Thanks, Linda. So yeah, really, as, as you, you kind of indicate, urban logistics is the business of uh, collecting and delivering in an urban environment everything that we need to make our lives uh, successful and prosperous and happy, whoever we are, whether we're businesses or consumers. So yeah, it could be medical equipment, it could be mobile phones, anything in between. The business of moving that around the city is what urban logistics is all about. And so back to, uh, back to your job description, sustainability, uh, it's great that we can uh, get anything delivered to our house or to our business, as you say, whenever we want. Uh, but uh, the increase in deliveries, the uh, really astonishing increase in deliveries, has some... Uh, deleterious impact, shall we say, and uh, especially from a sustainability point of view, but of course also from a business perspective, uh, because all those deliveries cost money, and uh, then uh, having all of those uh, trucks and delivery vans on the road, um, again, uh, generates sort of negative uh, environmental impacts from uh, emissions, tailpipe emissions to noise pollution. So can you talk a little bit about uh, some of the uh, sort of downstream impacts of urban logistics and uh, how uh, you and your team are sort of working to uh, alleviate those, those problems? In, indeed. So you're quite right. As with all things, there are, there are, there are good and bad sides. So you know, the, the urban logistics is is essential for uh, successful urban economies. Uh, you, you mentioned the increase in e-commerce. The world is urbanizing. More than half of the people on the planet now live in cities, and that's moving towards two-thirds. So without urban logistics, our cities simply wouldn't function. It's, it's essential. And in fact, UPS carries about 3% of global GDP uh, on a daily basis, and uh, a good proportion of that is in the urban context. So we're big players in this space. 
But you're right that there are uh, there are uh, issues that need to be managed in association with that. And the two biggest ones really are emissions and congestion. So the business of carrying out urban logistics uh, leads to or contributes to both greenhouse gas emissions and also air quality emissions. And of course, it also means that there are trucks on the road that, that contribute to congestion. So those are the challenges that we need to confront uh, in order to, to make sure that uh, uh, the, a balance is achieved. Um, and it, you know, from a UPS perspective, there are really two key things that we need to do to tackle those challenges. The, the first, the, the base plate, the template, if you like, the starting point, is all about efficiency. We need to be efficient because what efficiency does is it means that you can take uh, an existing conventional technology and make optimum use of it. So whether that's uh, through our global uh, optimized network with our airline or our optimized combination of uh, trucks around the world, or indeed through new technologies such as uh, big database supercomputers uh, that can use uh, uh, new technologies to, for example, optimize route planning. Efficiency is really important. But efficiency is not enough uh, on its own. We also need to go beyond the efficient use of conventional technologies into completely new things, things that go beyond diesel and indeed in some cases beyond the truck altogether. If we, and if we look at going beyond diesel, then electrification uh, is going to be a big player in this space. In fact, we've been uh, in the, the foothills of electrification for over 10 years now, developing this uh, this technology. We recently signed an agreement uh, that with a company called Arrival, which is a startup organization in, uh, in Europe. Uh, and we're working with them to design and develop a brand new concept in urban electric distribution truck. We've committed to purchase 10,000 uh, of those vehicles. And we're also pioneering innovative technologies in power infrastructure, smart grids. In London, for example, we deployed the world's first combined smart grid and energy storage solution in order to try to overcome some of the challenges associated with getting power to electric vehicles in a cost-effective way. So that's all about going beyond diesel. But then there's another piece that we could talk a little bit about, which is about how do we go beyond the truck altogether? And, and what's interesting in this space is that we're finding ways to operate in some cities without any trucks. So, for example, if you go to downtown Munich today in Germany, you would find almost no UPS trucks, but a lot of UPS electrically assisted cycles. So we're finding a way to do dense urban logistics using electrically assisted cycle devices um, and indeed electrically assisted walker uh, support aids. And it kind of it's interesting because it kind of links to the trend, the modern trend in urban design towards walkable, cyclable cities. And that's usually thought of in the context of pedestrians, but we're, t we're bringing it here to the, to the context of logistics as well. So fascinating space. It's all about partnerships. We're doing all of this in conjunction with other organizations. We can't do it all on our own. And it's all part of what we call our rolling laboratory. So we have some 10,000 vehicles now in our global fleet that are running on something other than conventional technologies or conventional fuels. And we've committed that uh, by the end of this year, a quarter of all the vehicles that we purchase will be uh, using some form of alternative technology or alternative fuel. So we're really starting to take this to scale now and beyond the experimental stage. Okay, well, thank you. Well, there's a lot uh, there. Uh, let me follow up on a couple of things that you said. First of all, you, you were talking about the trend in urban design uh, towards sort of walkable uh, communities. And uh, when I think about your uh, bike um, 
initiatives in particular, it sort of makes me think that really it's a, the, the trend is everything old is new because UPS, of course, got its start as a, a bike delivery service in, in Seattle. As, as it turns out, I grew up in Seattle, so I'm very familiar with with, with that story. And I live in Portland now, um, where UPS has a couple of electric uh, trike uh, pilot projects underway. Although, wait, I'm, I may, uh, I'm not sure if they're still underway. Certainly last year, uh, there were a couple. And that, and that was very, uh, that was very interesting. And I want to get into, um, uh, if we can get into the weeds a little bit, say on on the bike pilot projects, um, how do you how do you make the determination uh, that e-bikes or e-trikes are a good fit or a good substitute for the traditional delivery van? And then maybe we can extrapolate from that to talk a little bit about how you decide to deploy or uh, test a particular innovation in a particular area? Interesting question there, Linda. And you are quite right that this is not a one-size-fits-all space. Um, the, the solutions that we're finding to be appropriate vary around the world. And in fact, in some respects, they vary from city to city, even within a given country. So you mentioned the, the cycle solutions. And, and in, in fact, what we're seeing is that these solutions are working at the moment most successfully for us in Europe. And I think that's probably associated with the shape of European cities. You know, a lot of European cities are uh, very old. They're, 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 the streets are small. They're congested. Um, as a result, partly of that, European city authorities are pushing quickly towards the, uh, the promotion of walking and cycling uh, architecture, cycle lanes, etc. Um, and that that all links into it, the, those being suitable spaces for us to deploy cycle logistics solutions. So uh, the majority of our cycle solutions across the world now are uh, indeed in Europe. And I mentioned Munich as an example, but I could have also mentioned Hamburg uh, or Paris. And we're, we're building up projects in London and other cities as well. But to your point from the example you raised, it's not only Europe. We, we, are, we are starting to experiment elsewhere. Uh, you mentioned Portland. We do have a successful city pilot there, and we're looking at other parts of the world as well. So I think, I think what we'll see here is that there are, around the world, there are common themes. Uh, efficiency, for example, is a common theme. Electrification is a common theme. And then there are others where there is a very much a regional difference. And then there are other aspects, as I mentioned, that are very much a, a building by building or city by city difference. You know, I mentioned earlier the smart grid work that we're doing on, on electric power supplies. The, 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 the requirement or not for a smart grid is, is a building by building decision within our organization, within our network, depending on what the shape of the fleet is, how far the, the operation is from the city center, uh, what the existing power supply looks like, what we're aiming to achieve in a given time frame. So these things have to be really flexible. And what we're trying to do is to develop a kind of a toolkit uh, of technologies, innovations, including EVs, including smart grids, including energy storage, including cycles. And then as we go around the world and we look at different cities in different parts of the world, trying to select the best combination of items from that toolkit to meet the local requirements. And you also talked about uh, partnerships. And of course, you're partnering with uh, local jurisdictions. Um, to uh, get these pilot projects up and running. Um, can you talk a little bit about uh, how local governments, local and national governments, can unlock innovation in the, in the uh, logistics industry? 
Yeah, and that's a great point, Lynn. The partnerships are crucial. You know, I mentioned some of the private sector partnerships with Arrival and other companies. But you're right that partnerships with cities uh, are really crucial in this space as well. Because, see, what's interesting here is that the things that we're talking about, which are all about uh, reducing emissions, reducing congestion, these are things that everybody wants. They're, they're complete win-win situations. They're good for the city because that promotes people to live and work in the city, which promotes the economy of the city. But they're good for UPS as well, because it's only in a thriving city that we can also thrive. So we all want these answers. And therefore, it makes sense for us to build partnerships with cities. And I think as we do that, what we find is there are, there are a few things which uh, cities can successfully do to support that partnership, which is what we, we ask for. I guess the most obvious one is, is funding. Uh, a lot of these technologies, unfortunately, are still relatively expensive compared to their conventional counterparts. So funding all, always helps. And we've got some great examples of that around the world, such as the EU's Horizon program uh, and others. Operational support can work well. So if, if it's possible for a new technology to be given, for example, parking privileges, curbside access privileges, then that certainly helps. And then there are some less obvious areas where we look to government to try to help remove some unintended roadblocks. So, for example, what we've discovered in the, uh, the uh, power grid space is that when it comes to upgrading power grids in many parts of the world, the, the cost structure around that is not very well balanced. Uh, it doesn't encourage fleets like ours to electrify. So we're trying to encourage uh, cities and national governments and regional governments to think about that. Uh, the deployment of cycles. It, it turns out that in many uh, parts of the world, uh, e-assist cycles are limited in terms of the power capacity of their motors, which is designed more around pedestrian-related uses than it is around freight-related uses. So some of these unintended consequences, yeah, we like to work with uh, cities and other governments to eliminate. And then lastly, but, but importantly, public procurement can play a key role here because when governments procure logistic services, we would encourage them to apply a sustainability threshold to that demand, which would then encourage them to look at operators that are really trying to move the game forward, such as we believe ourselves. Yeah, and that can then encourage us to do more in this space as we work together. And uh, so uh, back then to the, the private partnerships uh, and your work with some sort of new entrants in this space, such as Arrival. Um, tell, tell us a little bit about um, the structure of innovation at UPS. You're a, you uh, are a, a company that's more than a century old and sort of by definition, you're a, you're a legacy logistics uh, company. Um, and so how, how does uh, the process of innovation work uh, within the company and within perhaps your division itself? Is innovation uh, a separate division? Is it interwoven throughout uh, the company? And then finally, um, how is it that you uh, seek out and locate these uh, innovation partners such as Arrival? Mm, that's a really interesting uh, process. Uh so firstly, to, to pick up on one, one of your points there, it's absolutely interwoven across the business, and I think it has to be. Uh, the, the way we do sustainability at UPS is we don't have a giant central sustainability function. We're very few people like me whose job it is to coordinate sustainable development. Most of the work is done 
by the functions, by the districts, by the business units around the world, uh, because they're the ones who are, they're the ones who understand their particular piece uh, of the, the the business, and that's absolutely right. We don't want sustainability issues to be seen as the job of a sustainability department. It needs to be spread through the business uh, in order that it can uh, contribute to the changing culture that we're, that we're seeing uh, in the organisation to promote sustainable innovation. So that's the first thing. And then how does it happen? I think what, what we tend to do is, is to try to identify a challenge that needs to be solved and then build partnerships around that challenge. So, uh, and, and, and that may sound obvious, but it's often the case that an attempt is made to do it the other way around. So building a partnership first and then figure out a challenge to apply it to. We don't find that to work as well as the, the approach that I mentioned. Figure out what it is that you want to get to yeah, and then uh, develop the right people, the right partnerships with government support to, to fix that. So let me give you an example. So we've already talked about arrival. That's a great example. I'll give you another example um, in the cycle-related space. So it, it was becoming obvious to us in, in some of our early cycle-related deployments that one of the challenges is that freight cycles are kind of, if you like, expanded versions of passenger cycles. And when you do that, things start to not work too well because passenger cycles are built to carry one person and freight cycles need to carry a lot more. So we were getting problems with wheels collapsing, bearings failing, that sort of thing. It was an engineering challenge. So what we, what we thought was, okay, let's build a partnership whereby we can bring the right players to the table and actually take some of our truck engineering skills into the cycle space and build something that would really be fit for purpose. So we partnered with a, a, a startup organization again. Often this is about large working with small a startup organization called Fernhay, a small British company, um, who've come to the table with some really good ideas. So we've partnered with them to build something called an e-quad. It's an electrically assisted quad cycle. So it has four wheels. And that's deliberate because, for example, it allows us to make the whole solution narrower for the same level of stability. And narrowness is great in a city. If you're trying to operate something on a cycle path alongside other bikes and other users, you don't want something that fills the whole lane. Yeah, we want something that is that is uh, city friendly. So it's just another example of where we've started with that challenge, built the uh, the collaboration, the uh, consortium around that, and in many cases we're able to then reach out to governments and say, look, this is something that we want to do, and we think it would be useful not just to us but to the city or the the, the national economy, an opportunity perhaps to build a business here that could be sold uh, to uh, to you know, further afield. So we're often able to to collect government funding support around that process, which helps us to accelerate and deploy even faster. So it's a method that's worked well for us, and we, yeah, we, we intend to keep pushing in that direction. So, uh, Peter, we uh, just have time for uh, one more uh, question, and I uh, want to refer to something I read in your uh, 2019 sustainability report about uh, the circular economy and how logistics can really help promote the circular economy. And that seems to go beyond some of the issues that we have talked about today. We just have another, just have a minute or two, but if you could maybe introduce that topic and let us know where UPS is headed on that score. Yeah, this is fascinating, Linda. So the circular economy is about reshaping the conventional linear economy, which effectively says we make something, we use it, and we throw it away and turning that into a loop where instead of the throwing away, what we do is we, we, we develop some method of reusing uh, or possibly recycling, but preferably reusing. So 
in UPS's case, we can really engage in this in a number of ways. The, the first way we can engage is that very often the closing that loop, turning linear into circular, requires something called reverse logistics. So it's all about the ability to, to take something and instead of it being thrown away, to actually get it back to the point where it can be redeveloped, re, uh, reused, uh, upgraded in some form. And we can provide those services. Um, and a great example of that is our partnership uh, through which we've, we've been able to create a product called Loop. We partner with, again, another partnership, a company called TerraCycle. And what Loop does is it allows consumer goods, uh, yeah, the kind of things that we would all buy at supermarkets, to be supplied to uh, end users in, re in reusable containers. So instead of what we currently have to do typically, which is to use something and throw the container away, and at best it gets recycled, maybe it even ends up being incinerated, uh, we apply reverse logistics solution to that so that the containers go back to a refill point and then they can be uh, reused and redelivered. So Loop, that's a great way forward. The other way in which we play in the circular economy is less obvious but equally important, which is that we can use circular economy products. So renewable natural gas, for example, which we're using in a lot of our heavy trucks now to reduce greenhouse gas emissions, that's a, that's a circular economy product because it comes from organic waste. That's how it's made. So we're finding ways into the circular economy, both unlocking it, but also using it directly. It's definitely going to be a big piece of the future. Thank you, uh, Peter. And uh, I want to thank you again for taking the time to uh, speak with us uh, today and sharing your insights um, and letting us uh, hear a little bit about uh, many of the uh, really exciting innovations uh, taking place at UPS. Uh, and I hope you have a great rest of your day. Thank you, Linda. It's been a pleasure and the, uh, the same to you.